Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, B-Date, back for another podcast episode. And this one, me and Adam, we do a deep dive on the Miami Heat. Uh, they're currently first in the East. They've been first in the East for a while now. Uh, so we get to talking about the reasons why that is, um, ranging anywhere from, like, you know, typical Heat culture to Eric Spolstra to um, the depth of guys they have that can be impactful uh, from game to game um, before we cover their playoff uh, chops as well. Um, I was a little lower on the heat than Adam was and maybe then the consensus is, uh, but it's all for you guys to find out in this episode. And then last but not least, we had a uh, new segment introduced in this episode. Um, it's going to be near the end of the 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 recording so just make sure you guys stick around to the end it's a really fun little thing you guys can interact with it as well um i had fun doing it adam had fun doing it and we hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did thank you so much oh yeah man one last thing one last thing just proud to announce um Got a little partnership going right now. Uh, TCM Productions, TCM Industry. Um, It's a a music-making group. They uh, specialize mainly in beats and instrumentals and them type things. Um, They're working with us here for the next five episodes or so until the playoffs start. Um, So I'm excited to announce that. And, yeah, without any further ado, man, let's get you guys into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Talking Hoops with B-Day. Um, joined by Adam, as always. Adam, what's going on, my guy? How you doing, man? Good, good. I'm doing good. And uh, we are recording this early Saturday morning, uh, about 1 a.m. Uh, Central Time. And uh, for the guys on the YouTube, you can see I've got my Miami Heat shirt on. We are going to be talking about the number one seed in the Eastern Conference with a 47 of and 24 record, uh, the Miami Heat. Uh, now, Adam, I wanted to bring you in on this, obviously, um, because it seems like for a team that's been number one for as long as they have been, there's been somewhat of a lack of uh, coverage about about Miami. You know, the way that we've talked about Milwaukee being uh, the sleeping giant in the East, the way we talk about Brooklyn, the way we talk about Philly uh, since acquiring Harden. It seems like the team kind of hiding in plain sight here is the Miami Heat. So um, I definitely want to go over like, you know, their out the outlook of their season so far. And and what do you think some of the biggest reasons they've had the success they had is? Yeah, they, they definitely seem like they're flying under the radar as much as a number one seed potentially can. Um, to y'all with the vitals real quick. Miami is uh, 47 and 24. That puts them first place in the East, two and a half games up on Milwaukee. That is after a win tonight against Oklahoma City. Um, Another game in which Jimmy Butler did not play, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, As far as the per 100 possession numbers go, they're 10th in offense, 5th in defense. Um, And 
interesting little note there. They shoot the highest three-point percentage in the league. So just an extra little vital that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit as we go on. As far as why they're successful, uh, I actually want to start this off by reading a little quote from Eric Spolster. This was from a week and a half ago before the Phoenix game when they were asking him about uh, how they're, they're approaching things because Jimmy was out of that game as well. And he just started off by saying, I think everybody is tired of hearing about culture, you know, and how we do things, but we're not apologizing for it by any means. Mm. And, and it went on to basically say that as players get hurt, we just plug in one more guy. He runs it all. Nothing changes. Everything stays the same because that's how Miami's built. And he's right with that very first part. Everybody's tired of hearing about culture, heat culture, heat culture, heat culture. Nobody yes. wants to keep talking about that. It's been beat to death. But there's substance there. Miami has built that culture. We like to talk about them as being a tough and a gritty team, and they certainly are. They come to work every day. They work hard. They play hard. Um, everybody's bought into what Spo does, and Spo's a great coach. As these players get hurt, as Jimmy gets hurt, which he has a lot, as Bam gets hurt, which he has a lot, um, Kyle's been hurt. Tyler Hero's missed games. Max Struess has missed games. Marquise Morris has missed almost the whole season. As players move in and out, Miami never changes what they're trying to do. They run the same offensive sets. They run the same defensive schemes, no matter who's out there, because every member of that team knows what they're supposed to do, knows how to run it, and runs it to perfection. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, in terms of, of my opinion on the Heat, um, you laid out a lot of the groundwork right there. Uh, there's a there's a certain toughness that just comes with being a member of that team. I think uh, some of the big things that we'll talk about later, um, adding a guy like P.J. Tucker, adding a guy like Kyle Lowry, who come with playoff chops, playoff proven uh, experience, title winners. You know, these are guys who who are used to being okay with uh, taking a backseat offensively and putting everything they have onto the other side of the ball. And I think that really resonates with a guy like Tyler Hero uh, that, that we've seen this year take a really, really big leap from his year two. And, and it seems to me, the more I watch them, um, obviously I didn't watch them a whole lot at the beginning of the season, but the more I've watched them as of late when they've, you know, been, been just being consistent as can be, I've seen him, Tyler Hero in uh, particular, kind of take a stride defensively, which is uh, something that was interesting in, in some of my film study. Um, you mentioned the number one in three-point shooting. For me, I think the biggest reason for their success is they know who they are. Uh, so which kind of bleeds into your heat culture point, but just their bottom three in pace. We talked about this in our last episode with the Mavericks, where it's like, that's not necessarily a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but they play to their strengths. Uh, they're top five in free throw percentage. So when games get close down the stretch and it is a grind fest, they're used to playing slow and they can hit free throws um, to extend leads late. Uh, so for me, just knowing who they are, the toughness that comes into it, all of those little things kind of resonate into your point about heat culture. For me, that's the biggest reason they've had the success they've had. Yeah, most certainly. They, they know what they do and they do it well. Um, that highest three-point percentage comes on just kind of a, a middle-of-the-pack amount of attempts, even though they're leading the league in percentage. They're also sixth in assists per 100 possessions. 
So what that says to me is they don't take a lot of threes. They move the ball very well. They find the open threes. When the open threes aren't there, they move on to what they do next because they just they just know what they are, like you said. Yeah. And then one more thing I'll say about just this, the, the season they've had. I think the the best way to say this, I guess, is the depth of comp- like serviceable talent they have. They don't have a lot of world beaters in sense of top five guys, top 10 guys, top 15 guys. But what they do have is 11, 12 players on their roster who are not net negatives. You know what I mean? And that's really hard to find. Like as a Laker fan this year, we probably have six guys who are, you know, net neutral or better. Whereas the Heat, they can they can miss Marquise Morris for half the season, as you mentioned, and plug in um, a Max Struess. Or or Tyler Hero can have a bad game and Duncan Robinson can fill that void. Or or if Kyle Lowry's missing time, Gabe Vincent steps in and he does the job. Um, they have a lot of guys just equipped to handle the grind of the regular season. Uh, guys who, as you mentioned, fit in with the system, fit in with the culture, and most importantly, as we kind of transition to our, our second topic here, um, they have the coach who is probably worth about six to eight points per game, in my opinion. And uh, the second topic I had here for us was, uh, what are some of the advantages the Heat have over other contenders in the East? Um, and for me, it starts and doesn't end, but it starts definitely with Eric Spolstra, um, as I mentioned He's probably worth six to eight points a game just in terms of adjustments, in terms of scheme, that zone defense being shown. Um, he's probably the best coach in the league for me. And and there's a certain like belief that that team has in playing for him, knowing that the things he says uh, do work if you put in the effort, as you've seen in the bubble run, as you've seen uh, – with the LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh teams. It's like he can coach the stars. He can also coach the guys who might need a little more system help, you know? So for me, um, as I talk about the main advantage, in my opinion, give me a, a couple more advantages you have uh, the Heat having as opposed to some other teams in the East. Yeah, Spo was one of the first things that I had put down as well. Spo's a great coach, shown it time and time again knows how to run his system as well as it can be, no matter who the players are. Like we just said, as as guys have gotten hurt, they've kept right on chugging. Um, you and I have talked before about how, especially once you get into the playoffs, the more ways you can have to score your points, the more guys you can have to go to, that is always a good thing. Yep. And that's something that Miami has there. They have a lot of balance. Nobody on their team is averaging 22 points a game. Nobody mm. is. Jimmy Butler is leading the way with 21.1. Tyler Hero is right behind him at 21.0. Bam, not too far behind him at 19 flat. That's three different guys all kind of right there at the top of their scoring punch. And then as you dig a little deeper, there's six guys on this team averaging double digits. Hmm. That's a good number. That's a lot of different ways to go to find your points and to beat teams in the playoffs. Yeah. And uh, another one I have here, I'm sure you had it as well. And it's kind of what we look at Miami as identity wise is just, they can put out some really devastating defensive lineups. Um, I've watched a lot of, I watched uh, the game when they came here and played Dallas. I went to that game and they trotted out a lineup of Lowry, Butler, Bam, 
Tucker and Morris. And it was just like, good luck. You know, if uh, they switch everything and, and the, the personnel they have for switching everything is so important because Kyle Lowry is a guy who, you know, in theory, hey, six foot guard on my 6'10", big man, let's go ahead and dump it down to him in the post. Anyone who's watched basketball knows Kyle Lowry is not moving. You know what I mean? He's not backing down from that. If you're going to shoot over him, you're going to shoot over him, but you're not going to get any ground on him. He's going to hold his ground. He's going to stay there and make you take a turnaround jump shot. Uh, Jimmy Butler, another one. He's he's like a fire hydrant down there. You're not moving him. And then they have the bigs, as I mentioned, Bam. Uh, to a lesser extent, Morris. Uh, P.J. Tucker, who's like kind of the tweener, who just kind of glues it all together. And then now you have guys like, like I mentioned, Gabe Vincent, not a big name, but he just knows how to be in the right positions and the right spots. Um, I've, I've been impressed with Hero defensively this year in, in spurts. And, uh, and and for me, the wild card is Oladipo um, in terms of like, if they can get anything from him uh, in the playoffs, it would be good. But man, they, they can throw out some really devastating defensive lineups. Is he going to be back for the playoffs? I think so. He uh, he played his first game back against, I believe it was Houston uh, this year, and he did all right. He looked OK. Um, you can definitely see it was a guy who hasn't played in a long time and some of the fluidity of his game isn't there. Um, I definitely have him later in a later segment is just like. Why I don't think that they are what other people might think they are. Um, but but I, I think he's going to be on track to be able to play uh, play his way into the rotation. Good to hear them. Yeah. And then one more thing I had, uh, it ties into defense a little bit, it ties into Spo a little bit, but just, I mean, it's got to count for something, right? Like home court advantage. Like they're probably going to finish as the one seed. They've got the, uh, the 13th toughest schedule remaining. So it's about middle of the pack. It's nothing crazy. Um, and these things are hard to judge because you never know what teams are like truly shutting it down and what teams are um, going to rest players. But just on win-loss percentage, they have the 13th toughest schedule remaining. Um, so not bad, but I do think Miami uh, not having to ever play a game seven on the road is is also another thing that that's in the back pocket for them. Yeah, it's definitely worth noting. And as far as home court advantages go, Miami puts out one of the better home court advantages. Their fans show up for them. Miami's a pretty big city, and they love some Miami Heat basketball. It gets loud in that place. South Beach flu. <laughs> you might catch a Leon 21, 22-year-old <laughs> in the playoffs, staying out a little later than he's supposed to. Um, as we transition to the next one, Adam, I, I feel like this one was kind of the easiest of the five that I, I, I sent you. Um, in terms of crafting a five-man lineup uh, as we look into the playoffs. Um, for me, it feels like four guys are penned in, like not penned, yep. so like four guys are in pen. Um, so to talk me to, uh, through that and, and who would your fifth guy be on most occasions? Yeah, so the, the four are pretty clear, right? It's Jimmy Butler, it's Kyle Lowry, it's Bam Adebayo, it's Tyler Hero. Those are going to be your, your four locks. That fifth spot, I feel like, is is somewhat matchup dependent. Um, if you if you're in a spot where you're gonna need some tougher, grittier defense, I think PJ Tucker takes that spot. Uh, potentially, 
in certain matchups, you might feel like it's better to go with like a Duncan Robinson or a Max Struess to get a little bit of extra shooting. I'm not too sure how much they lean into that, though, because PJ is, interestingly enough, shooting a higher percentage this year than any of those guys. Now, he's doing it on a lower volume, so it doesn't necessarily compute. But PJ shooting 43% on almost three attempts a game, which is not like so much of a low volume that it, it can be admissible. That's, that's worth something. So for me, I, I, I'm glad that you said that. Chris. For me, the four guys I had in pen were Lowry, Bam, Butler. But the fourth guy I had was actually PJ. I had him penned in in terms of we're, we're going to need a guy to guard the KDs, the Giannis's, the – the hardens to give Jimmy, you know, a little bit of a break on that end to where he can do his offensive thing. And the fifth guy for me was between hero Robinson. And, and uh, I even had Marquise Morris as like an outside shot. Feel, I feel like he's more of a, neither team is, is really got much offensively. So, so let's just gear in for like a trench warfare kind of fight. Like, the ammo's run dry, the knives are dull, let's just throw fists, you know. Uh, he's he's more for that sort of setting. Um, Tyler Hero, for me, was was the uh, the one that I felt strongest about, but I also wouldn't pen him in just in the sense that we saw the bubble run, you know, bubble year, he shoots 38%, uh, and he looks like a guy who's going to be a force for years to come. Then last year, uh, when they got swept by Milwaukee, I saw a guy who's Average nine points and shot 31% from three. Um, so it, it might be a little harsh to Tyler Hero in the year that he's having, but I don't think a third year player would be as trusted for me as opposed to a guy who just won a championship, was a vital uh, piece in the Bucks run. Um, but I think if you ask me for my five, he would probably be the fifth guy. So I think anything's possible. You get to the playoffs and the guy gets in the headlights and, and starts to struggle or whatever. But at the time being, I certainly have, have Hero in there as a, a solid, solid starter. Um, part of the rest of that, that spoke quote from earlier that I didn't finish reading was about how much they trust their guys, mm. how much these guys have shown their ability to play in certain moments and do certain things to win games, but how much trust is there between Spo and all the players, between the players and each other. And, and Spo has shown that over time, that he trusts his guys. So I don't think he's going to be gun-shy to put Tyler Hero in there, at least in the beginning, unless he no. gives him a reason not to. And yes, he struggled in the playoffs last year, but Hero has taken a huge step forward this year. Like we said, he's, he's playing better defense. He's averaging 21 a game. He is running away with the six man of the year award. Yep. And like you mentioned in all of that, this is a team that somewhat lacks offensive firepower. I think so too. So yeah. I, I certainly think in, in your closing five, you're going to end up running out one of your better shot creators and shot makers for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think, I think he would, he would be, uh, he would be in there and then you just throw the, the four got the four others. Um, now I do have bad news for Heat fans. Um, as a guy who likes to be very positive and a guy who likes to make sure everyone gets their notice and their recognition, I'm not very high on the playoff thoughts um, as I was to start the season. Weirdly enough, because at the beginning of the season, 
before a game was played, I thought this Heat team was going to be the opposite where they kind of, let's just get through the regular season. Let's be a four seed. Let's be a five seed. Let's just make sure all our guys come into the playoffs healthy. And then in the playoffs, that grit, that experience, that toughness will all show up. It seems like they've not been healthy and they've relied on the grit and the knowledge and the experience to kind of get them through the slog of the season. But I do feel like at a certain point, like they're, like you just mentioned there, I don't think there is quite enough creation, um, which is why I think one of the teams that could be a really bad matchup for them uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs is the Brooklyn Nets, man. I think Kyrie situation, let's just say it gets handled. Let's just say it doesn't get handled, whatever. Let's just say he plays four games um, in a seven-game series there. I think he gets to a certain point, or, well, it, would it be four because of the Miami would have home court advantage? Oh, yeah, my bad. I did it backwards in my head. So, so I think there is a certain time in, in, in playoff series and games where it's just – you need guys, you need top end talent. And I think this is the fear that I have with Miami where they might not have that top 10 guy or that top 12 guy that can go toe to toe with the Kevin Durant. If you think that's Jimmy Butler, fair enough. But then we've got Kyrie, you know, trying to duke it out with the likes of Bam or Kyle Lowry, whichever you you feel, you Tyler Hero even. I, I just think there's there's a little bit not being said about down the stretch, half court offense, when it's time, the plays don't work anymore. Everyone's scouted everything out. It's game six, it's game seven. Like, I just need this guy to go get me a bucket. That's the one thing I feel like a team like Brooklyn would have the upper hand on them on. And I also think on the inverse side of the ball, I don't think Miami is a team that could punish the smallish lineups Brooklyn throws out the same way a Milwaukee could punish Brooklyn or a Philly could. Um, I just threw a lot at you there. What do you, what do you think about all of that in terms of the Brooklyn matchup? Yeah, it's certainly a concern. Um, I feel like you can say that about anybody though, if it's going to boil down to who can outduel KD in game six, when it comes, <laughs> yeah. comes time to just make jumpers or whatever, nobody's going to do that. Um, I, I certainly think, Looking at how the seeding plays out right now, Brooklyn is obviously, obviously the team they don't want to play in the first round. Yeah. Uh, out of their options there, out of who all could end up in the play-in and how that's all going to shake out, Brooklyn is the one team you would want to avoid, no matter who you are. Brooklyn's clearly a lot better than that. And as I think we'll talk about a little later, Brooklyn is in our list of legitimate contenders. So any of those teams are going to be threatening. I'm not trying to dispute that. I, I just picked a different team as my worst matchup per se. Yeah, who who did you have? Uh, so I, I, I kind of went back and forth between two teams and it, it boils down to the same reason on both of these teams. Okay. So I'll just kind of explain that reason. The, the teams are Milwaukee and Philadelphia, either or. Um, my biggest weakness to me to, with Miami is a lack of size. Bam Adebayo is six foot ten. He yeah. is the biggest player that plays on this team. They, on average, are roughly even in rebounding battle, and they have struggled with size all year. Markeith Morris coming back 
sort of helps. He's six foot nine. It's a tough guy. It's a good place to start. But when you get into Philadelphia, who has Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, Willie Cauley-Stein, no, not all of those players are necessarily huge difference makers, but they are huge people. Um, (laughs) and, And when we saw Miami play Phoenix, a week and a half ago, which is a, a good thing, I think, to look at as far as top-tier teams yeah. uh, colliding out recently. DeAndre Ayton and, and even JaVale, JaVale. McGee yeah. had huge games against them. So if JaVale McGee can come in and punish their lack of size, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan, those guys can figure something out. Bucks have something similar going. Giannis is not a traditional big, but a pretty big dude. Serge Ibaka is a big dude. Brooke Lopez is just coming back and getting healthy to a lesser degree. Bobby Portis. I, I think those teams with that kind of size to punish Miami's yeah. big but not huge team is is a problem. That That's very fair. I have a stat to back up your case. Um, so you mentioned Bam being 6'10", biggest guy on their team. When Bam comes off the floor and you have the likes of either Markeith at the five, in a lot of regular season games, it's been Dwayne Deadman at the five. Um, the opponent's offensive rating goes up eight points per hundred possessions when Bam sits. Um, and and for me, that's one of those things that against any of those two matchups you just mentioned, if Bam's sitting and Joel's on the court, we're just going to have to hope that zone survives because we can't match up man to man. Um if if Joel if Bam's on the bench and Giannis is in the game with a, a ball handler and he can get into that pick and roll action, then all of a sudden the guy rotating over isn't Bam out of bio anymore. It's a slower footed it's a slower footed Markeith Morris who's probably not gonna be in the in the spot Bam would get to. Um, and even if he is in the spot, yeah, like you said, sometimes it's just an athlete battle. And he and he's gonna, over the top of him. He's gonna lose that battle. Um that's, that's interesting for me, man. And, and I think part of that is going to bleed into the fifth point, why I don't have Miami as a real contender at all. I need, I need to specify before the Heat fans kill me. There's a lot of them. Um, so for me, I just have three contenders in the East. I have Milwaukee, I have Philly, and I have Brooklyn. I think my definition of contender at the moment is a team that can win the finals. I don't think under a circumstance where even two of those three teams get hurt and to like a big, a big injury. I don't think Miami's good enough to beat them still. Um, So for me, we talked about the depth of Miami and we've talked about how they have a lot of good guys who can plug and play. I think that is specifically predicated on a regular season environment where there's less time of prepping for an opponent, for a Gabe Vincent off the bench or a Max Drews. Uh, where there's less time to kind of gear into the system that Miami runs that gets so many people good looks. I think as you get more familiar with Miami, uh, that's where the talent can start to overcome the system. Uh, If you know what I mean, like the more you see the split cuts and the bam at the elbow looks with Robinson coming around, the more you can at least have a plan for it. Not that you're going to stop it all the time, but you get used to it, and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a Jims and Joes versus an X's and O's type of game. And, and when I look at those three teams that I mentioned, Giannis, Holiday, Middleton, 
three guys who I trust to either create a shot for themselves, create a shot for others, or stop someone for creating a good look. I look at Philly, James Harden, ah, not a biggest James Harden fan, but I do think he's probably on the level of Jimmy Butler in terms of playoff shot creation. That might be harsh to Jimmy Butler, um, but definitely Joel Embiid, I trust in that sort of setting. And then Brooklyn, I mentioned KD and Kyrie, and even to a lesser extent, Seth Curry, man, with some of the, the things that he does offensively that are kind of hard to guard. Um, even to a lesser extent, man, I might be being really harsh to Miami, but even to a lesser extent, Boston. And that's hard for me to say as a Laker fan, but I, I that's think rough. that's hard for me to say, man, because I don't think the rest of Boston's team is good enough. But I do think their top end talent is probably just slightly better than Miami's as well. So, again, I could be being very harsh, man, but that's just kind of how I feel at the moment watching those other teams um, last five minutes, last seven minutes of a playoff game. Yeah, the Boston thing's a little harsh. That's it's harsh. <laughs> it is uh, harsh. Yeah. Well, it's a little harsh, but it's interesting because I think I feel like they're kind of similar teams. Like mm. you have you have Jason Tatum at the head of it all. You have a real great defense all around him that plays hard and doesn't really create a lot in the half court. That's all a topic for another episode, though. That's fair, though. You don't need yeah. to start suddenly deep diving Boston. Um I'm the opposite of you here. I, I absolutely think Miami is a real contender. I'm not going to call them the favorites. I think Milwaukee is the favorites by a rather large margin hmm. in in my mind. Um, as far as those other teams, Brooklyn and uh, Philly, and, and speaking specifically to these teams and not thinking about Milwaukee, this doesn't apply to. One advantage that I see with, with Miami, and, and this – ties back into what we've already talked about with the, the culture and stuff and how much everybody's bought into Spo and how much those guys are familiar with playing each other with each other. There's a lot of continuity there. Mm. Those guys know what to do together. They know their system in and out and how to do it with one another and how to be themselves and play to their strengths. Yeah. Look at those other two teams. Ben Simmons hasn't played a game for Brooklyn yet. They're going to get to the playoffs and be trying to figure that out on the fly. Fair. James Harden He's he's been there. Check, checkered history in the playoffs. Checkered history in the in the playoffs. He's new in Philly as well, though, and it looks like him and Embiid have really good chemistry so far. And I would say the returns on James Harden in Philadelphia have been positive so far. But nonetheless, once you start getting into the playoffs and all of the game planning comes down, does he really know every little in and out of Doc Rivers' system and what they're trying to do over there? I don't know. All of those Miami players know every in and out of what Spoke's trying to do, though. That's very fair. And, and, and to kind of counteract myself, like you mentioned Doc Rivers against Eric Spolstra, that in a playoff series is a very big mismatch in the favor of the Heat. Um, you know what I mean? Even to electric Steve Nash against Steve Eric Nash Spolstra. Steve Nash have the experience there. That's another Both playoff. Been there and done that. Yeah. yeah, that's another playoff mismatch. So like I said, man, like the more the more you were talking, the more I'm like, wow, OK, coaching in the NBA definitely seems to be a lot more important than most other sports to where you can you can kind of make up for talent deficiencies with scheme. Um, so, yeah, man, I think the, you've actually convinced me into like. I, I would probably put them level with 
I would say Philly. I think out of the, the Milwaukee, Boston, Philly trio, I think Philly is probably third in terms of contention. I would probably put Miami in lockstep with them. We recently saw them play each other. Miami kind of blew the doors off them. James Harden didn't play, but um, that does look like a team. If that matchup were to happen, I think as a, as a Heat fan, I would feel a lot better than if I saw Milwaukee or Brooklyn because I think they have the guys who can – I mean this in the most respectful way possible. They they have the guys who can kind of pull James Harden's card a little bit. You know what I mean? Like they're going to get in his shorts. They're going to pick him up 94 feet. You know, Tyrese Maxey, as much as I love the kid, like he's not super proven in those moments. Kyle Lowry's going to be the most. Kyle Lowry's going to be all over him. He's going to be a pest. He's going to be Kyle Lowry. You know what I mean? And and he's going to draw the little cheap rip through fouls. And all of a sudden Tyrese Maxey's got two. And you're having to play Danny Green and James Harden's the only like perimeter creator on the court. And and, and when those lineups happen, like, yeah, I, I would probably tip the edge to Miami because, like I said, Harden's checkered ha- uh, playoff history. Kind of harder to feed a big man um, without that perimeter kind of creator guy. So, yeah, I, I think you've actually talked me into like putting them on level terms with Philly. And if they had home court, actually Miami might be probably favored in that matchup. So I think, yeah, you did a good job, bro. You did a good job talking me into Miami being lockstep with Philly. Nice little win for me, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily have them ranked in my head. I, I do think Milwaukee's kind of ahead of the pack, and then I have those other three in that next tier. And then is it, maybe okay. Chicago and like a tier below and like a random dark horse if some injuries happen type thing. Quick question there, just to stay on it, like not heat related or anything, but you said you have Miami like a little bit further away from the pack than maybe most do. Is that the they just want it, they know what they're doing thing, the continuity? Like what what is it there? Is it is it just simply just Giannis is better than everyone else? Like the, the defending champs. Giannis is better than everybody else except for KD. They have the continuity. Bud was impressive in the playoffs last year, kind of shut some of the haters up. I they're a good Shut me team. up. They are a good team. Yeah, that's fair, man. So before we go, um, we are going to do a new segment on the show. Um, Adam's created it. I'm gonna let him talk about it a little bit. Um, This will be like a recurring thing on the end of every episode. So if you stick around this far, um, you can always tag along, play along at home. Uh, Adam, take it away, man. Talk talk to him about what you got going on. Yeah, we we got a little trivia section coming up here for y'all to start ending the shows with. I'm actually going to be quizzing Brandon on some trivia. You guys can try to guess along at home. Maybe y'all are smarter than him. Maybe y'all should take over his show. I don't know. Probably are. Y'all probably Um, (laughs) are. So the concept here is, I'm going to give you all three different names, three different players, past or present. And the goal is to tell me yes or no, have they ever averaged 25 points per game over the course of an entire season? That's a little bit less of an accomplishment than it used to be. That's still an accomplishment, though. You don't just find those guys around every corner. It's a tough thing to accomplish. I think as we go through this over time, y'all will be surprised at some of the names that have. And y'all will be surprised at some of the names that haven't. Um, I'm not going to throw out anybody that's super duper obvious. Nobody thinks Brian Scalabrini averaged 25 points a game <laughs> for a whole season. Nobody thinks Kevin Durant is under that number. So we're going to try to stick to some guys that are, are kind of around there. 
and uh, I'll let y'all know how close they got or how many times they did it and, and what their high was. So we're going to do three names every time. This inaugural episode here is going to feature all three players who won an MVP award at some point in time. That will not be common because most MVPs clearly averaged over 25 points a game. But I got three guys here for y'all that are kind of close. So we're going to start off. This guy was a three-time All-Star. Um, and in 2010-2011, he became the youngest player ever to win the MVP award. That is yes. the Windy City Assassin, Derrick Rose. Brandon, did Derrick Rose ever average 25 points a game for a whole season? Okay, so Derrick Rose, if he did ever do it, it would have had to be in that MVP season. And I don't, I always remember, just off the top of my head, I always remember the arguments in that season being, if you look at LeBron's numbers, he should have been the MVP. Derrick Rose just had the one seed. So therefore, putting a little bit of like, educated guests together, I'm going to say no, Derrick Rose never did. Derrick Rose's MVP season was the right spot to be looking. And in Derrick Rose's MVP season, he averaged exactly 25.0 points a game. So that's a tough one. Uh, That's good. That's good, though. I, I feel like most people will guess yes, because I feel like Derrick Rose and that year gets remembered a little bit more fondly than it maybe was. A lot of people have kind of forgotten about those arguments about LeBron's stats against him. But yeah, 20, 25 flat, youngest MVP ever. Shout out to D Rose. Still Shout so out sad to how that all played man. out, man. All right, number two, we have a 15 time All Star, nine time All NBA team, and Hall of Famer. Four rebounding titles in his career, all of them consecutive. Defensive Player of the Year and a championship ring. He won the 2003 2004 MVP award. Uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves at the time, he eventually got his ring a little later with Boston. That is the big ticket, Kevin Garnett. Just got the jersey retired in Boston against the Mavs. Um, well, dapped up Ray Allen. That was kind of neat. That that was that was dope. That was dope. Um, before I before I answer, I just want to say this is a guy whose skill set is kind of criminally underrated um, because a lot of people have that image of him in Boston as just the third of the big three, the defensive guy. This was a guy who was bringing the ball down the court, crossing over, double, you know, one MVP that year, like you mentioned, took a poverty franchise to a conference finals. Um, But if you ask me, I'm going to feed into the stereotypes and say, no, he hasn't averaged 25 before. So his, his skill set is a little underrated. He was uh, a little above league average in those MVP contention seasons in terms of knocking down long twos, mm-hmm. high motor, deadly in transition, good pick and roll guy. You are correct on this one. Kevin Garnett did not average 25 points a game at any point in his career. His MVP year, which, as I said, was 03-04, was the closest he ever got at 24.2 points per game. So he was close. Yeah. But not quite. That's good. And last but not least, we have another 15-time All-Star guy added on 15 All-NBA teams to go with him and a Hall of Famer. Five rings, two finals MVPs, two MVPs, the greatest power forward of all time, hands down, Mr. Tim Duncan. Oh, man. I I like this episode, man. Three MVPs, but like all kind of different in their play style, which is making it hard for me to think scoring the basketball. Okay, so 
Timmy D coming out, right hand, left hand, jump hooks. Like it was just all, all the post work was there. Um, for me, if he did it, it probably would be in that like 05 to 07, 08 stretch where like they were just getting to the finals every other year. Because uh, I don't think he would have did it under Robinson, and I don't think he would have did it with Tony Parker in his like prime in the later, like the early teens. Do I think he averaged 25 in a game? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. All right. You you end the night two for three. That's uh, You got your time frame a little off, though. Tim Duncan's first MVP year, the 01-02 season, is the only time in his career that he notched that mark. He averaged 25 and a half throughout the year. Let's go. Let's go, man. All right. Started off two and one. And, and, and guys, if there's anyone out there who likes to track this stuff, please track my record. I'll track it. I'll try and keep up with it, but I'm sure the later we'll go, I'll forget. Two and one to start in the inaugural episode. I like it. I like it. Yeah, man, that was, that was fun, bro. That was a lot of fun. I, I, I'm glad you did that. And we definitely will have more of those. Um, like I said, that will be at the end of every episode. Adam, I appreciate you hopping on uh, so late at night, man, and, and, and grinding out this Miami Heat episode. Um, for those listening, this will come out on Monday. So if any of the numbers get a little skewed, like we recorded this literally in the wee hours of Saturday morning. So it is now um, 1.30 a.m. here at Central Time. Yeah, don't, don't hold any of those. I've been up since 6 a.m., but it was worth it. This was a fun episode. I'm glad I got to be here. Always, man. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much if you made it this far, and we will see you all in the next one.